3AM Tales of Terror contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to 3AM Tales of Terror, which you should already know what this is, because this is episode 16, but I'm your host, Jamie. And I'm your co-host, Charlie. And in this episode, we're going to be telling you two stories today that are pretty close in proximity to each other. One's in Mississippi, and the other is in Alabama. Um, The first one we're going to tell you is the one in Biloxi, Mississippi. It is the ghost of Deer Island. And the other one is in Alabama. I can't remember exactly which city at the moment, but it is the Tom Bigby River. So we're going to start with the ghost of Deer Island, though. The closest island to the Mississippi coast, Deer Island, is easily visible from the beaches and attractions of historic Biloxi. And I hope that I'm saying that right. I'm literally just saying it how it's like spelled. So if Sounds I'm good, if I'm saying that wrong, y'all let me know. <laughs> It is a rookery for the Great Blue Heron and is maintained in its natural state as a Mississippi coastal preserve. Nine different rare and or endangered species live on the island. Humans have visited or lived on the island for thousands of years. Ancient American Indians came there to hunt, gather, and fish long before the birth of Christ. The French arrived in 1717 and by 1905, even an amusement park operated there. Hurricane Camille changed all of that, destroying man-made structures and forcing the last inhabitants to relocate to the mainland. The wisdom of the move was demonstrated by Hurricane Katrina in 2005 when water swept over the island. An artificial reef built since then now helps protect Deer Island from erosion. Neither the storms nor the retreat of human beings from the island, however, have eliminated two ghost stories that rank among the oldest in the South. Both were first documented in the article published by A.G. Ragusin in 1922. The story of the ghost of Deer Island was then nearly 100 years old. He quoted Captain Eugene Tiblier, Sr., who had resided in Biloxi for all of his 78 years. As the authority for the tale of two fishermen who were spending the night on the island when they suddenly heard a great and shaking rattling of the palmetto bushes. Assuming the noise was to be made by wild hogs, the men initially paid paid little attention, but the longer they tried to ignore the sound, the louder it grew. Finally, they investigated the cause and were stunned to see a headless skeleton standing erect among the palmettos. The two men ran for their boat with the headless ghost in pursuit, but succeeded in making a narrow escape. What? What? A headless skeleton? I don't even want to imagine that. And then to be chased by it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. The story of the headless ghost originates from an old pirate story. According to the legend, a pirate captain once steered his ship into Biloxi Bay to bury a large treasure. He and his men buried their gold on Deer Island, chopping off the head of one of their own men and leaving his body behind to guard their ill-gotten gains. The apparition of the headless ghost was verified by Ragusan by another Biloxi fisherman who said he had seen it while exploring the island with two other men. Their experience was similar to that of the men described by Captain Tiblier. 
A great rattling of the palmetto bushes preceded its appearance, and it was so terrifying that all three of the explorers rode for the mainland as fast as possible. The ghost of Deer Island is said to be responsible for mysterious lights and strange sounds observed on the island to this day. The other old Biloxi legend tells of the Firewater Ghost, a supernatural blue light seen moving over the waters of Biloxi Bay long before the invention of electric light. According to that legend, the mysterious light often moves across the bay between Biloxi and Ocean Springs. The same Captain Tibbler who told the story of the ghost of Deer Island said that he and his brother Lewis saw the Firewater Ghost in around 1892. They were rowing a skiff in Black Bay at around 2 in the morning when the light suddenly appeared. Tibbler described it as being blue in color and traveling about one foot above the water. He and his brother stopped rowing and watched as it crossed the bay and disappeared near Ocean Springs. Local legend holds that the Firewater Ghost is a spectral sentry who patrols the bay with a lantern in his hand. The stories of Deer Island the stories of the Deer Island and Firewater Ghost are important parts of the folklore of the Mississippi Gulf Coast. The next time you are walking the Biloxi beaches at night or enjoying the view of Mississippi Sound from your hotel room window, keep your eyes open. You might just witness the lights that fishermen have told of seeing for nearly 200 years. And so I wanted... Okay, so I couldn't tell the Deer Island story without the Firewater Ghost story because no matter how I looked it up, the Firewater Ghost story was always a part of it. So <laughs> that's why they're both that. They're both there. And this was all I could find. Literally, it, it is just like those two stories, just fishermen telling the stories of, you know, being on the island or being in their boats and seeing the lights and the skeleton. So, I mean, uh, I thought it was a pretty cool story. It's, you know, it's not long and there's not a lot of, you know, like, I guess, umph to it, but. Yeah, I, I think would, it's cool. The light's been around since before electricity. Yeah. So, like, how do you explain it? Yeah. And then the headless ghost. Mm-mm. Yeah, like, multiple people saw it and were scared for their lives. For real. I would not be happy if I saw that. Literally at all. <laughs> I would do the same exact thing. Run in the other direction. I think it would be cool to see the light, though. Yeah, the, the light doesn't sound, you know, The light bad. doesn't sound bad. I think I would be okay with seeing the light. Definitely not the headless skeleton, though. And I would love, you know, if those fishermen, if there are any fishermen down there that are still around that have seen it, I would love to get their stories. That would be amazing. So if there are any fishermen in Mississippi that have been on Deer Island or the Mississippi Gulf Coast and have seen this and you want to tell us your story, please tell us your story. <laughs> that, that would be cool. <laughs> Other than that, my resources for this story, well, my resource for this story was exploresouthernhistory.com. So now we're going to move on to the ghost of the Tom Bigby River. Is it the ghost of the Tom Bigby River or just there's ghost stories? Okay. So yeah, the ghosts, plural, of Tom Bigby River in Alabama. And um, I believe it is in Mobile, maybe. Um, yeah, Mobile, Alabama. Did you not know that Mobile, Alabama was a city? I don't know if Do you should. Do I look like I, I don't know if you should answer that question. <laughs> Do I look like I live in Alabama? <laughs> what do you mean? Look like you live. 
So the Tom Bigby River in Alabama, we're going to go through a little bit of the history and then some of the ghost stories. Okay, so the history of the Tom Bigby River. And I'm going to put up front, I should say it correctly, but I know when I was researching it, I wanted to call it the Tom the Tom Biggie, <laughs> the Tom Biggie River, and I was forgetting that B, so I'm going to try and Tom Bigby. I've been practicing saying it right, so I don't screw it up, but you know. Anyways, okay. The Tom Bigby River is a tributary of the Mobile River, approximately 200 miles long, in the states of Mississippi and Alabama. So both of the stories kind of go together because the river is in both Mississippi oh. and Alabama. So that's cool. Together with Alabama, it merges from the short Mobile River before the latter empties into Mobile Bay on the Gulf of Mexico. The Tom Bigby watershed encompasses much of the rural coastal plain of western Alabama and northern northeastern Mississippi, flowing generally southward. The river provides one of the principal routes of commercial navigation in the southern United States as it is navigable. I don't like that word, but I know navigatable is not a word, but I don't like navigable. It just doesn't sound right to me. So I'm sorry. Anyways, as it is navigable among much of its length through the rocks and connected in its upper reaches to the Tennessee River via the Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway. The name Tom Bigby comes from Choctaw, I hope I say that right. It is. Okay. Cherokee and Choctaw. Baby, she's a Chippewa. She's a one of a kind. Isn't that Carrie Underwood? No. (laughs) Oh, my God. No, Carrie Underwood does have a song called, like, Choctaw something, though. Oh, no. This is a guy. I can't remember his name. Oh, my gosh. Okay. My dad was listening to this, and he'll know. Oh, my God. Oh. So, Choctaw means... Or, or Tom Bigby from the Choctaw means box maker or coffin maker from box coffin and maker. Okay. The river formed the eastern boundary of the historical Choctaw lands from the 17th century when they coalesced as people to the forced Indian removal by the United States in the 1830s. So, so I guess in Choctaw, Tom Bigby meant box coffin and maker. The river begins in northeastern Mississippi, just south of the Far Mounds, near the northern county line of Itawamba County, at once at what was once known as the source of the East Fork of the river. Historically, the beginning of the river was in northern Monroe County, and the confluence of Town Creek, also known as West Fork Tom Bigby River, and the East Fork of the river. The river flows east through Aberdeen Lake near Aberdeen and Columbus Lake near Columbus. How clever. (laughs) Yeah. It flows through Aliceville Lake on the Mississippi-Alabama border, then generally south-southeast, across western Alabama in a highly meandering course, past Gainesville and Demopolis. There it is joined from the northeast by the Black Warrior River. South of Demopolis, it flows generally south across southwestern Alabama, forming Sumter and Choctaw County's borders with Marengo County. Past Jackson, it joins the Alabama River from the north on the Mobile. 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 Not Mobile, Alabama. It is Mobile. (laughs) (sighs) I know you're struggling today. (laughs) Past Jackson, it joins the Alabama River from the north of Mobile, 
Baldwin County line. Approximately 30 miles north of Mobile, this confluence forms the Mobile River. After the completion of the Tennessee Tombigbee Waterway in 1985, much of the middle course of the river in northeastern Mississippi was diverted into the new Straighten Channel. Above Aberdeen Lake, the waterway flows alongside the original course of the river. In addition to the Black Warrior, the river is joined by the... Buttahatchee? Yeah, Buttahatchee is how I would say it. In addition to the Black Warrior, the river is joined by the Buttahatchee River from the east, north of Columbus, Mississippi. To the south of Columbus... Luxapalila? Yeah. That's how I would say that. Yeah, Luxapalila Creek joins with the Tom Bigby River approximately 5.2 miles from downtown Columbus. Approximately 10 miles north of Gainesville, it is joined from the north by the Sipsi River. At Gainesville, it is joined from the west by the Noxubee River. The Choctaw National Wildlife Refuge is along the river in southwestern Alabama, approximately 20 miles northwest of Jackson. The upper reaches of the Tom Bigby formed the homeland of the formidable Chickasaw. The French official Bienville used the Tom Big V to travel with his forces in his 1736 campaign against the Chickasaw. In the 19th century, they were considered one of the five civilized tribes of the Southeast, as they adopted some European-American ways. But Congress passed the Indian Removal Act of 1830 in order to remove the Native Americans and enable development by European-Americans. The United States forced the Chickasaw west of the Mississippi to Indian Territory, extinguishing most of their claims to land in the southeast. So that was a lot of history on that. So I, It was a lot of directions. It was a lot of directions, a lot of history, a lot of cities that, n- unless you're from there, you really yeah, don't know how to pronounce. Say, <laughs> so. They were like, all of our listeners from around here are probably like, where's that? Yeah. I've never heard of that. So, oof. What a hatchy. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Okay, in my defense, I researched the story God knows how long ago, so I remember it was in there. (laughs) Okay, so now we're going to get to the ghost stories, and they are from an article that I found by Rufus Ward. Uh, Okay, so, with all the ghost stories around it, it is surprising that there are not more ghostly tales about the Tom Bigby River. However, two of the most interesting and horrific However, there are two of the most interesting and horrific tales. Uh, What? There's more than two, but we're only going to talk about the two most interesting and horrific. Yeah, I put that sentence in there very wrong, and it's throwing me off. So... Makes sense to me. However, two of the most interesting and horrific tales about the river. Are about the river. Are about the river. God, I'm blind! Okay, so... Two stories, two ghostly tales of the river, because I I obviously can't read today. So, okay. From 1822 until about 1920, steamboats plied the Tom Bigby. There were many accidents involving steamboats, which is reflected in the average lifespan of a steamer, only being about six years. The first recorded loss of a Columbus trade steamer was in 1825. In May of 1825, the side-wheeler Allegheny was headed to Mobile from Hamilton 
when she struck an underwater snag and sank 12 miles south of Columbus. In this first steamboat accident, no lives were lost. Out of the seven steamboats in the post-1822 Columbus-Mobile River trade, five had explored or sunk by 1828. So Exploded. This is what I'm talking about, how I can't read. I usually don't correct you, but that one kind of... Yeah. What did I say? Explored. <laughs> okay. Okay, so... Of the first seven steamboats in the post-1822 Columbus-Mobile River trade, five had exploded or sunk by 1828. My goodness. In these Tom Bigby steamer accidents, the loss of life, if any, was usually small. Two people died when the Azile struck a snag and sank at 10 miles shoals at 10 mile shoals before Columbus in 1856. The city of Columbus burned and sank at the Columbus Wharf in 1911 without loss of life. The boilers of the steamer Fanny W., which was, quote, owned by colored men, in Columbus exploded near Waverly in 1878, seriously injuring, quote, eight to ten people. However, there was also the 150-foot-long stern wheeler W.H. Gardner, that was traveling to Mobile from Columbus with over 500 bales of cotton and a full complement of passengers. On March 1st, 1887, she caught fire and burned at Howard's Bar just south of Gainesville, Alabama, killing 22 people. Two of the steamboat disasters have well-known ghost stories surrounding them. They are the burning of the steamer Eliza Battle in 1858 and the explosion of the James T. Staples in 1913. The burning of the steamboat Eliza Battle in 1858 during an ice storm on a freezing, flooded Tom Bigby has become an internationally known ghost story. She's even listed on Wikipedia as a legendary ghost ship, along with the Flying Dutchman and a few other famous ghostly vessels. Few ghost stories compare in strange and supernatural associations with the 1913 loss of the steamer James T. Staples. Norman Stales, in 1908, had decided to construct the most palatial boat built on the Tom Bigby since the Civil War, and he named the boat the James T. Staples after his father. That just sounds like bad luck. (laughs) Yeah. In late 1912, Norman Staples was having severe financial problems, and he lost his steamboat to creditors in December. Staples could not accept the loss of his steamboat, and in early January 1913, took his own life with a shotgun. See? Bad luck. The boat's new owners directed that her captain ignore the former owner's funeral and proceed upriver from Mobile on the boat's regular run. Rather than be disrespectful, the captain declined and quit. After several unusual occurrences, including Staples' ghost being reported on board, most of the crew also quit. With a new captain and crew, the Staples steamed out from the Mobile Wharf and headed up the Tom Bigby. Norman Staples had just been buried in Bladden Springs Cemetery near the river, and when the James T. Staples reached the place on the river closest to its former owner's grave, its boilers exploded, killing 26 people and sinking the boat. Those who were rescued were transported to Mobile by John Quill, a Columbus Mobile packet boat. Unlike most ghost stories, the unusual circumstances surrounding the Staples' loss 
were picked up by news media and the January 13, 1913 Columbus commercial had a front page account of the loss of the James T. Staples. The article actually commented on the strange circumstances surrounding the disaster. The most famous area ghost story is that of the Eliza Battle, which we already mentioned, so we're going to get into that story. She was a polite palatial steamer that left Columbus for Mobile on February 28, 1858. It was raining and the Tom Bigby was flooded as the steamer departed Columbus with about 45 crew and 60 passengers and 1,400 bales of cotton. As she proceeded south, the temperature dropped 40 degrees in two hours and rain turned to sleet and ice. At 2 a.m. on March 1st, the steamer was about 40 miles south of Demopolis when the stern was found to be on fire. As the alarm spread, passengers and crew encountered the stern ablaze and the bow covered in icicles. The only choice was to freeze to death or burn to death. Out of control, the boat drifted into a flooded forest and many people were able to escape into the trees. Several freezing hours passed before help arrived. In the end, 15 passengers and 14 crew members died. It is told by fishermen on that part of the Tom Bigby that on cold winter nights, a fog bank will sometimes drift down the river in which may be seen a burning steamer from which may be heard passengers and crew of the Eliza Battle eternally crying for help. Though steamboats are the most image-evoking apparitions, they are not the only ghosts along the river. I have heard two ghostly stories about the Tom Bigby at Columbus. Both are set at the site of the old ferry crossing at the foot of Main Street, which was the new location of the 1870s Iron Bridge. It is now the location of the new bridge and on the Columbus side of the Riverwalk. Carolyn Kay has described to me, Rufus Ward, the author of this article that we're reading from, how two people have seen an apparent ghostly image along the Riverwalk. It was of two men rowing an old wooden john boat down the Tom Bigby. He was wearing an old-fashioned looking white shirt and a straw hat. Just as he reached the new bridge, he vanished. He is not the only vanishing apparition at that location. So the new bridge, I guess they probably can't go to the new bridge like the ghost. They probably can't go to the new bridge because they don't know it, maybe. That's what I kind of get from that. Because it says he vanished right before he got to the new bridge. Or as soon as he got to the new bridge. So maybe the new bridge wasn't there. Obviously it wasn't there before when they were there, maybe. So they didn't only go that far. That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle, Bunk- Uncle Bunky's mother and Aunt Eva often told him of how late in the afternoon an old man in a heavy overcoat and hat would slowly walk behind old bob's place toward the river they both said no matter where on the path he was the man's back was always turned toward them and they never could see a face just as he approached the riverbank he would vanish that was also where an early 1800s ferry landing and later in the 1870s bridge were located bunky recalled his mother saying that had happened on several occasions it was the location on the river where the man in the jumbo had also vanished when we think of area ghost stories we don't need to just think of the haunted houses there are some pretty strange stories along the banks of the tom bigby too that was a pretty cool story also had to do with fishermen 
any fishermen in the Mississippi, Alabama area that have ghost stories, please tell us about them because we'd love to hear more. <laughs> My resources for this story were cdispatch.com and, of course, Wikipedia. So we will post, you know, pictures and everything from this story, these stories on our website. So you can go and look them up. Also, I always put the links to where I did all my research from. So you can go and get more information from those websites if you want. Of course, Wikipedia is available all the time. So you can always just Google our topic and look at Wikipedia and probably get some more information that we probably have not gotten. So... Now it's time to take a break so we can remember how to talk and read. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And we hope you guys did enjoy these two stories. And I hope that you guys still enjoy us doing two stories every now and then. I try not to do them back to back, but I hope that you guys do like the two stories. I, I do heavily research and sometimes I can only find so much. So when I put two stories together, that's when you know that I have extended all of my resources to do research for the story and have only found so much so i put them together to make a longer episode so i hope you guys enjoy it that's it for today thanks for coming to hang out with us and listening to our show don't forget you can find us on social media facebook youtube instagram and tiktok all the links can be found on our website three the number three not the word 3amtalesofterror.com you can also subscribe with your email for updates there as well if you have any questions for us or story ideas you can email us at info at 3amtalesofterror.com we hope you'll join us next week and And we hope hope you you were terrified. terrified